If you have your Bible's electronic devices, you can click to turn to with me, Numbers chapter 11. Uh, we're actually entering into a, a brand new series, um, and I'm entitling this series, In the Wilderness. Now, there's several series titles that I kept struggling with, but they were all just way too long. They, they helped to communicate my thought or my burden for this series, and so I thought of things like living in the wilderness without losing your faith, living in the wilderness without losing your joy, living in the wilderness without losing your passion, losing your, living in the wilderness without becoming discouraged, and so I want to talk to you over the next four weeks out of Numbers chapter 11 about this issue, just this issue of the wilderness and what, how do you journey through, how do you navigate through the wildernesses of life? Um, if, if you look at this, this text, you realize that there were some things that, that, that grew in the wilderness and there were some things that were negative that, that developed in the wilderness and there were some things that were positive to develop in the wilderness. But God uses the wildernesses of our life to develop some things in our life. Now, so that you and I can understand Numbers chapter 11, we have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. I'll read a verse in a little bit, but many of you know that have been around church any, any length of time or you know scripture, you know that Exodus chapter 3 is like the burning bush experience. It's when Moses was walking right one day and he noticed that bush and it seemed to be on fire, but the bush wasn't being consumed and all of a sudden he realized he's standing on holy ground. He was in the presence of God and then God gave him some experience, uh, some, some, some instructions and some things to do. And so if you and I aren't careful, we could look at that and say, oh, well, of course that happened to Moses. I mean, it was probably an awesome time in, in Moses' life. He probably had his life together. He was probably real, really successful at the time. And maybe if I could get my life together, if everything was going right for me, then I could come into the presence of God. You know what? The opposite is true. When you, when you know the backstory, and we're going to talk about the backstory of this, of Exodus chapter 3, so we can understand Numbers chapter 11. When you understand the backstory, you understand the opposite is actually true. This wasn't a good time in Moses' life. Actually, this was like an all-time low in Moses' life. If you know the story of Moses, you know this, that Moses was a Hebrew. He was born in a difficult time in Egypt. It's when the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were in, in captivity. They were, they were slaves. And, and Pharaoh got nervous because the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were becoming way too, uh, uh, too many of them. And so he became threatened by that. So Pharaoh said, all the young boys must be put to death, two and under. And so Moses' mom got nervous about Moses. And so as, as hard as it was for her, she did it to save his life. She put him in a basket, put him in the river, floated him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter, right, like, rescues him out of, out of that situation, takes him in. And he was raised in, like, Pharaoh's house. And so now Moses is this guy that is living life in luxury. And it must have been hard for him to grow up in that when he's living life in luxury and he's seeing the, the Israel people going through difficulty and hurt and pain and some of those other things. And so Moses, because of that, hated injustice. He just hated injustice. And when Moses became a young man, he was out one day and he saw an Egyptian abuse a Hebrew man. And Moses, like, lost it. And he actually killed this man. And so Moses is like on the run. He's no longer successful. He's no longer prosperous. He can no longer live in Pharaoh's household. He is on the run. He went through the wilderness. He's on the backside of the desert. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a title. I mean, he's the lowest of lows. And all of a sudden, in that moment, he saw the burning bush. And God spoke to him out of that. At this very moment, at one of his lowest moments in his life, he had this encounter with God. 
And so you may think, listen, you may think, just like maybe Moses thought before this, that nothing grows, nothing happens in the wilderness. Listen, I've been to Israel several times, and I've been in the wilderness area, and I'm here to tell you, it is shocking how much stuff grows in a wilderness. It's like stuff grows out of rocks. It's like stuff grows out of nothing. It's shocking. And so when you look at the wildernesses of life, you may think nothing really develops in a wilderness. It's like a wasted time of your life, or it's a wasted effort in your life, and it is not. There are things that develop in the wilderness, and there are things that develop in the wilderness that are very, very negative and dangerous if we're not careful, and then there's things that that develop in the wilderness that are for our good, and so we want to look at three of them this morning. The first thing that develops is just very negative and very dangerous. The other two are very, very positive. Fact is, it's the reason that God leads us sometimes in a wilderness is so that these things can develop in our life. But back to the story, God gives Moses some instruction. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7, he says, Then the Lord said, I observed the misery of the people of Egypt and heard them crying out because of their oppression. I know about their suffering. Can I just tell you, let's just stop right here. God sees right now what you're going through. God sees the difficulty, God sees your hurt, God sees your pain, God sees your situations. This is what we find here, verse 8. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that, that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the termites. It's like everybody, all of the ites, all of the ites. And so God comes down and God rescues. And here's the crazy thing. God tells Moses, Moses, I'm going to take you out of a land of slavery and I'm going to take you to the, what we know as the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? So Moses, guess what? I'm taking you out of slavery. I'm taking you out of difficulty and I'm going to take you to the promised land. Here's the interesting thing. God never mentioned the wilderness. God never said anything about the wilderness. God, it, it's not even, it, he, he just didn't even mention it. A lot of us have to, just like Moses and just like the, Egypt, and, and the Israelites, a lot of us have to go through the wilderness experiences of life so God can prepare us for what he has, so God can develop something good in us. And we have to be so careful that when we go through the wilderness and we go through difficulty that it doesn't harm us because of the way that we see it, but God is able to do something good in our life. The wilderness, in case you're wondering, we'll see it in this text, the wilderness is where your strength dries up. The wilderness is where you say, I just can't even stand it here. The wilderness is that place when you and I know that we're in the wilderness, we long for the good old days, right? When can we get back to normal? When can we get back where it used to be? When can we just get back? When can we get back there? When can we get back to that place? The wilderness is the place where you struggle with joy. The wilderness is the place to where you just come to that place and you're just like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of dealing with this. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 6, we're just going to gl- get a glimpse of this with the, with, the, with, the, with the people there. And God had been providing for Look at this, verse 6. But now our appetite is gone. In the Hebrew, that can be translated out, appetite or strength. And so what they're saying is our appetite or our strength is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. And so when you look at this, you realize that they're in this difficult spot in life. And guess what? You know what they're looking at? They're looking at the negative. I mean, all we can look at, all we can look at is like this manna. And when you look at Numbers chapter 11, you realize that they've been in this season for about two years. 
and they're tired and they're exhausted and their strength is drying up and you have to ask yourself, well, in the desert, in the wilderness, where do they get their food? Well, they got this thing called manna. Now, nobody knows what it is when you start researching this with theologians. The Hebrew definition for manna is what is it? I think it was probably meatloaf. I don't know. But... <laughs> But, but nobody knew, nobody knew what this manna was. Look at verse 7, Numbers chapter 11. The manna, so they're going to try to, try to uh, uh, explain it ex- the best that they could. The manna resembled a coriander uh, seed, and its appearance was like dillium. The people walked around and gathered it. They ground it, up on a, it on a pair of grinding stones or crushed it in a mortar. That sounds great. They boiled it in a cooking pot, shaped it in a cake. It tasted like pastry cooked with the finest oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall. So here they are. They're eating this manna morning, lunch, and evening. Three meals a day, they're eating this manna. And you have to ask yourself, like they're trying to explain it, how many different ways can you cook manna? Well, Forrest Gump would tell us. You can boil it, you can bake it, you can saute it, you can fry it, you can grill it, you can air fry it, you can stir fry it, you can beer batter it, but guess what? It still tastes like manna. Three times a day for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, they're eating this manna, and you know what they're saying? We're sick of this. We're sick of the same old, same old. We're sick of dealing with the same problems over and over. And so when they had enough, like two years into this, is when like their strength just dried up and they became exhausted. Listen, I'm telling you, they forgot that God is providing for them. So in the wilderness times of life, and we just need to be careful here, there are wildernesses that, that like God leads us into, but there are also wildernesses that we can create in our life with bad decisions, with bad choices. And so we're talking about this morning, we're talking about a wilderness that God leads us into that was no fault of our own, no fault of our decisions. And God meant it for our good. So there's three things. There's three things that can develop in the wilderness. There's three things. One is negative. We're going to look at that first so we end like positive this morning. Uh, And then there's a negative. The first one's negative. Uh, Grumbling can develop in the wilderness. Now, this comes natural to us, right? Complaint and grumbling can come natural to us. For instance, I don't mind waiting in a long line at, at like the grocery store or whatever as long as I can complain about it, right? And you know what we'll do? It's crazy. Whenever we're upset because of labor shortages or something like that and we're waiting in a long line, we don't really mind if we can just talk to strangers and complain to strangers about it. You ever notice that? That strangers will find comfort in one another as long as they can grumble or complain. We're the same way, and this people group is the same way. Look at this, Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. And you, you, you begin to start seeing like the grumbling and it says the riffraff I like that word the riffraff you ever been called the riffraff it was like a group of people so it it wasn't it wasn't the majority can I just tell you this have you ever noticed grumbling's contagious complaining is contagious all it takes is one, right? All it takes is one, and all of a sudden it's the whole family. All it takes is one, it's the whole organization. All it takes is one, and it's like everything. And so the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. 
But now our appetite, our strength is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. You really need to read this in like a whiny voice, right? In other words, they're saying, we can't take this. This makes us sick. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're tired of like dealing with this. Now listen, if, you're, if you and I aren't careful, we can read this and we can go, what a bunch of crybabies. God is providing for them. I mean, this is a miracle. This stuff's coming down from heaven. God's personally providing for them. What a bunch of crybabies. And so if we're not careful, whenever we read passages in Scripture and people are behaving badly, we can put ourselves over the story and, like, judge them. And we have a tendency to say, you know what, I'd never do that. What a bunch of crybabies. I can't believe that. I would recognize what God is doing. Well, you know, it's more healthy. First, to come to the place and put ourselves in the story with them and say, you know what? Given the right set of circumstances, the right situation, I, I'd be prone to do that too. I'd be prone to say those things too. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a season of your life when you found yourself eating the same thing over and over and over? Don't miss this. And I mean, you're just like sick of it. I can remember back to like college, and I understand college cafeteria food is way better than it was in my time. In my time, it all tasted the same. It didn't matter if it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It just all tasted the same, and I, got, I just got sick of it. I just got sick of it. Then I still, I am old enough to remember when Taco Bell was invented. <laughs> and in the selling point of Taco Bell... You could eat there for less than a dollar. That shows you how old I am. I could, listen, I still remember this in college. I could eat two bean burritos and a bean tostada for 67 cents. I didn't think life could get any better. And so me and my buddies, you know what we started doing? We started finding money or taking odd jobs or whatever just so we could walk to the Taco Bell. And now we're eating bean burritos like three times a day and tostadas and all this other. And all of a sudden, we're sick of that. Listen, if you ever ate the same thing over and over, this, this, this is them. This is, what they're, this is what they're dealing with, and they're coming to the place, two years of this. They're saying, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of dealing with the same thing over and over and over. I am sick of this food. I am sick of this situation. I am sick of this place. I am sick of this season in life. And maybe you could say, I'm sick of struggling financially, or I'm sick of looking for a job, or I'm sick of medical test after medical test after medical test with no real answers. I'm sick of dealing with this relationship over and over and over. I'm sick of the place where I live. I'm sick of the situations that it just seems like, it just seems like God is not blessing and God is not taking care of me. I'm sick of dealing with supply chain issues. I'm sick of dealing with labor shortages. I'm sick of dealing with the political climate. I'm sick of dealing with it seems like like everybody's angry, everybody's mad, everybody's upset. I am just sick. I am just sick. That's when you and I know, guess what? We're in the desert. We're in the wilderness. And so, we listen, we have to acknowledge, if we're going to understand this, we have to acknowledge that, guess what? We all have a tendency to grumble and complain. And that is not a spiritual gift. We have to realize that, guess what? We have a tendency when things do not go our way to grumble and to complain. And knowing that, we have to protect our heart. We have to be on guard against that. Because these are not just harmless complaints, and we're going to understand how God viewed them in a little bit later. 
If you and I, listen, if you and I are going to have spiritual resistance to be able to walk through a wilderness, a desert experience, with spiritual resistance to where we don't lose our joy, we don't lose our passion, we keep our faith intact and our faith in God and and the good things develop and not the negative things, then guess what? You know where it starts? You have to guard your thoughts. Because negative thoughts breed more negative thoughts. You ever notice that? It It just takes one negative thought. And one negative thought, it's like a snowball, like running downhill, destroying everything in its its path. And so the first thing is this. You and I have to learn how to guard our hearts, how to guard our thoughts. We have to take and evaluate the truth of our thoughts. Paul talked about that, taking captive of your thoughts, taking captive of your mind. And the way that you and I do that is with Scripture. That's why it's important that we read Scripture. That's why it's important that we know Scripture. And so we take our thoughts, and guess what? If our thoughts don't line up with Scripture, we don't get rid of Scripture. We get rid of our thoughts, and we come to that place. You and I have to understand, because if not, your groaning or your grumbling or your complaining can, can lead you to a place to where life is, is not, not happy and life is not good, to where they're running your mind I. It's a story that, that comes out of Texas, and, and it's by the, by the name of a, of a guy. It was a news story of a guy by the name of Gary Ford. Gary Ford was assistant police chief for the Santa Fe Independent School District in Texas. His buddy uh, was the police chief of the school district. They had served together in the police force. They had both retired. They, they had taken this job with, with Santa Fe Independent School District, and so they made national news when there was a school shooting in their school district. And Gary and his buddy were the first two men that arrived. And, and you know what? They didn't wait for backup. They didn't wait for the police to get there. Uh, they knew what was going on, and they made the decision to go in regardless. And so they went in. Uh, Gary's buddy was immediately shot. He, he survived, and he was okay, but he was immediately shot. Gary continued in, and Gary continued in. He took care of the threat, and as a result of that, as a result of his actions, he became like a Texas hero in his area because the lives of teachers and students were saved because of his heroism and and because of what he did that day. About three or four months after this, uh, he was uh, given an interview with a reporter in Texas, and the reporter all of a sudden didn't intend on asking this question, and she was caught off guard. And she says, you know, can I ask you a question? How is it? How is it you still have joy? How is it that you still laugh? How is it that you still are positive? Can I ask you? And he goes, oh. And, and he says, you know what? I've learned as a Christian. I've learned that you have to guard your thoughts, that negative thoughts create more negative thoughts. And he says, so I just have this one core belief, even through all I've walked through and all I've seen as a police officer, I still believe there's good in the world. If you and I are not careful, we can focus on the negative. We can focus on the complaint. We can focus on the grumbling to where we just come to the place to where we no longer believe there's anything good in the world. And we can no longer see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We can no longer see what he's doing. Later on in the series, we're going to read where like Moses like rebukes them and says, you have, you have rejected the Lord. And so Moses is helping them. Learn, this is just a dangerous situation. See, it's an issue of envy. The core issue is an issue of in- envy. They're saying, you know what? We just long for the the good old days. Life would be better back there. Life would be better over there. God's blessing everybody but me. God's taking care of everybody but me. And life would be better back in Egypt. Life would be better back there. 
And so when you look at this, really what they're saying is, I could be happy in a different set of circumstances. I could be happy in a different situation. And so here's what's hilarious about these people, and, and, and you've got to read this several times to catch this. Regardless of the situation of life they were in, they were just not happy. When they were in Egypt, and the food was free, but they were slaves, you know what they were whining about? What good is free food if you're not living in freedom? What good is all this meat, leeks, onions, and cucumbers, and all this other stuff? If it's free, you can have all you can eat. It is free, but you're living in freedom. Now, God has led them out, out of that, taken them to the promised land, and they have freedom, and they're, they're like, hey, what is good with all this freedom if we don't have meat to eat? What is good with this freedom if we do not, if only we have manna? That's what they said, verse 6. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Do you see the distortion? They are so, listen, they are so focused on what is wrong that it's distorted their memory. Listen, if you and I aren't careful, we can remember the good old days and we only remember the good stuff and not the tough stuff. When you focus so much on complaint and grumbling, when you look back to the past, all you think about is the great stuff. All you think about is the good stuff. You no longer remember the struggle. You no longer remember the difficulty. At the core, what they're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you're not taking. This is why Moses says you've rejected the Lord. God, you, you don't know what you're doing. You, God, we were, we were better off without you. We were better off in Egypt when the food was free and we were slaves. Can I tell you why this is so dangerous? A critical spirit, a complaining spirit, a grumbling spirit will keep you from seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It is not a question of is God is being good to you or not. He is. The scripture teaches that. The question is can you see it? See, a lot of times we get so focused on what God is not doing instead of what he is doing. We get so focused on, on the complaint or the grumbling that we no longer can see what he was doing. See, this is what they're doing. They're saying, God, we were better off in Egypt when we were slaves to, to Pharaoh. I mean, we were, we were be- God, we were just better off without you. God, following you doesn't pay. Being obedient to your word doesn't pay. Look at this. Look at what we're dealing with. And in the two years, if you just study this... God had done some huge stuff. Not only had he been providing manna, he had given them the the, the Ten Commandments. They'd built the the tabernacle in Shiloh that you can still go to this day. And it's an amazing place to go to in Israel. And that's why Moses says, you have rejected the Lord. So when they were complaining about the food, it was like cosmic treason for, for God. Because this wasn't the first time. They had a history of this in their life. And so the second thing that can develop in the, in the wilderness is a positive thing. Trust can develop in the wilderness. Fact is, I believe that's where God develops trust. Fact is, these next two, trust and the next one, prayer and, and faith, um, I believe that's, where, that's what grows and that's what God develops in the wilderness. And so we can get to this place to where, whenever we get to this place to where We're always unhappy. We're critical of everybody, critical of every situation, critical of every issue. That is a sign that, guess what? Are you trusting God? Do you see God trustworthy? See, this is their problem. When they're complaining, when they're grumbling, they're saying, God, we don't know if we can trust you. 
We don't know if you're trustworthy. Our strength is dried up because all we see is a negative. All we see is what is wrong instead of what is right. We have nothing. You know what they're saying? Everything that you have given us, God, is not good enough. The way that you're providing for us is not good enough. And they're coming to this place to where they're answering this question, we don't know if we can trust you. Wouldn't you agree trust is the glue that holds every relationship together? Trust is the glue that holds friendships together. Trust is the glue that holds marriages together. Trust is the glue that, guess what, holds every relationship together. It's what holds our relationship. One of the things that holds our relationship with God, to know that we can trust him. And it was in the, it was in the desert that God was asking them over and over, will you trust me? It's in the wilderness of life, when we go through these wildernesses of life, that God is asking us, would, would you just trust me? Look at this. I, I want you to see some of the situations just so you get a flavor of this. The first situation was shortly after they left Egypt. And remember the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh realized, made a huge mistake. He let all of his free labor go. And so the economy's like crashing. So he sends the National Guard, says, hey, go, go get them back. Remember that? And they're... He's bearing down on it with the Red Sea. And so in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may uh, serve the Egyptians. It would have been better off for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so listen, when you, when you get attacked, when you get attacked by people, God is asking you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? So they traveled three days into the desert, and then they ran out of water. This is a serious situation in the wilderness, right? We need water. You can't live more longer than, than three days without water. So they needed water, and the water, then they all of a sudden find some water. The problem is it's not drinkable. It's, it, it's like bitter. So they complain again to Moses in Exodus chapter 15, 23, and 26. They came to Marah. But they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. And so their answer was, no, we will not trust you. This, then they go a little farther, and now, now there's no food. And God starts giving them manna. Here's where manna came from, Exodus chapter 16, 3. The Israelites said to them, if we had only died in the Lord's hand in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead you brought us into this wilderness to make the whole assembly die in hunger. Then there's another problem. Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted for, for water and grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock and thirst. So when you look at the history of, of the Israelites coming through the wilderness, all they did was grumble and all they did was complain. And so th this was not their first offense. This is the one of many. 
And so when you get attacked, God's asking, will you trust me? And when you are short on food and short on water, will you trust me? When, when you're going through difficulty, when your strength is dried up, will you trust me? And so the lesson here is this, is do I believe God can bring something out of nothing? Do I believe God can bring life out of death? And do I believe that God can provide for me even out of the most difficult situations? You can read it for yourself, Exodus 15, 16, and 17. And I'm... And you can see it. It seems like, it seems like they're, it seems like, it seems like they're saying the same thing over and over and over, right? Remember, well, some of you can remember. I know it's a thing now, but some of you can remember. Remember vinyl records the way that God intended music to be listened to. Thank you. And I never, I never will forget. I, I loved the vinyl that I had, and, and now it's a popular thing. I just gave all my vinyl records to a nephew because obviously it's expensive now. And, and so, but anyway, and so, but, but when I was a kid, I had this one record that I just loved. It was Grand Funk Railroad. And, and I had a, and one of my brothers decided to play with it like a frisbee, and he scratched it. And so you know what happens to vinyl when, when, when it gets a scratch? Even though it's a great song, it will get to a place. It just keeps saying the same thing over. And it's annoying, right? It's annoying. That's where we get the saying says, you sound like a broken record. You're just saying the same thing over. This, this was them. And sometimes if we're not careful, we sound like a broken record to God. It's the same complaint over and over. Even though God moves and even though God provides and even though God takes care of us, it's like the same complaint over and over. The very, listen, if you're not careful, the very event that God has led you through to teach you to trust you can develop complaint in your life so you cannot see what he is doing. And so for two years, they're in this, this wilderness experience. And it's like they're not learning anything. What if the very event you find yourself in right now, the thing you most hate, the thing you most detest, is the very place where God wants to develop trust in you? Listen, I didn't learn to pray in seminary. I even had a class on it. You know when I learned to pray? In the wilderness. When my strength had dried up, I had no other resources. I only could depend on him. The third and the last thing is this, that in the wilderness, faith can develop. In the wilderness, faith can develop. And, and, and many times, it's these spaces that we dislike the most that can produce the most pr fruit, if you will, in our life. And so what we're talking about is choices. We can either choose to see the goodness of the Lord and land of the living or we can choose to see what we don't have. We can choose to see the complaint. We can choose to see the, the grumbling, if you will. Instead of looking at the manna like it wasn't enough, a per listen, a person of faith will look at the manna as God's provisions. We'll look at the manna as the goodness of the Lord in the land of a living. Someone that's so discouraged, even when God provides, can look at the manna and say, you know, it's just not enough. God should be doing dot, dot, dot. They didn't really see God's provision in the manna. Even though God was blessing if you and I aren't careful, we can look past God's provisions and criticize. And whenever we enter a season of disappointment and discouragement, how we, how we handle that season of life will... 
determine whether we're going to be angry, bitter people or joyful, happy people. You and I cannot choose what happens to us in life, right? We can't choose that. But we can choose how we respond to it. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said this. Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. I think that's true. I think that's true. You and I cannot choose the deserts we walk through, the wildernesses that we walk through. We can't choose the situations we go through. But we can choose how we respond to it. And if you're not able to enjoy God's provisions today and live a life of gratitude, then you have forgotten what God has done for you, just like this group of people. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3, chapter 14. It says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Let me ask you a question. Are you unhappy with your situation right now? Are you unhappy with your circumstances right now? Are you able... Are you able to look at the problems or God's provisions? Are you able to see how God is, even in this season and even in this time, providing for you now? It's an interesting story. We'll close with this story. It's found in John chapter 6. And, and Jesus came across a group of people, and, and they, they looked at Jesus, and they are questioning whether Jesus is really from God or not. And they looked at Jesus, and they says, how do we know? How do we know you're from God? How do we know you're from above? It's interesting enough, Jesus references this story back in Exodus. And Jesus says, well, remember the, the manna that Moses gave you and the good stuff that he did, did for the Israelites in the wilderness? He said that manna was just a symbol of the bread from heaven, which only I can give. And then he started asking them a series of questions. Do you, do you know why your soul's so empty? Do you know why you struggle with joy and you struggle with peace? Do you, do you know why nothing really satisfies you in life? And he looked at him and says, because you, you don't have the bread of heaven. It's because you don't have eternal life. A kind of joy and a kind of power and a kind of love that fulfills you. And then he started talking. He said, if you eat of the bread that, that I give you, your soul will be satisfied. You will never hunger or thirst again. And then he looked at him and says, I am, I'm the bread of life. It is in that moment that they, they rejected him. And the scripture says that they walked away from him. And that's like the gospel right there. That Jesus Christ is the bread of heaven. I, I don't know if you've thought about this, about bread. You can carry a loaf of bread around with you all day long. And it will never satisfy you satisfy you unless it is broken, right? Unless you receive it. And you can carry around a, a religious loaf of bread and it may make you feel good about yourself because you're doing some religious things, but what satisfies us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What satisfies us is when the bread is broken and we receive it. That's why at the Lord's Supper that Jesus had the disciples in the upper room and at one moment he said, this is this is my body. I am the bread of life. 
which, and he broke it, which is, which is broken for you. Now take and eat. Have you received him? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, would you receive him today? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?